This is your wake-up call. Let the game begin. I guess. Uh, welcome back to Movies to be Murdered by. I'm Jesse Drew, and here with my lovely, adorable co-host, Jeffrey Watson Esquire the Third. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Good. I am happy because Stocktember is just chugging along, yeah. you know, and... Uh, we are watching all these fabulous movies about stalkers and stalking, and today we are going to talk about a curious little, I want to say call it a, a little bit of a love story, you know, I think it's a little bit of a love story, uh, a demented and, you know, psychotic love story, but a love story nonetheless, a yeah. um, little movie called The Fan from 1996, starring Wesley Snipes and Robert De Niro. Um, directed by the late great Tony Scott and Jeff, you have you had you seen this movie before? I had seen I had seen this movie years ago, um, you know because I used to watch it every time it would come on cable. I believe it would be on Stars or something like that back in the day, and I mean I would watch it all the time and uh it had been years since i had seen it again but i was really really glad to uh to be able to watch it again yeah i i that's great because i i had kind of missed the boat on the fan i remember seeing you know posters and stuff for it when it was out um in the 90s and didn't get on the didn't get on the boat i missed the boat um and then got on the boat only recently, uh, but my this I had seen the, this movie like in bits and pieces. Then finally got a chance to watch the whole thing from start to finish. Uh, recently, as in was it yesterday? <laughs> so um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. I enjoyed it uh, this time that I saw it. Um, I, I'm down for a good celebrity stalker movie. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the fan is about? 
I will definitely do that. And nice. Because I am of clear mind right now. Um, I, which is, I, I don't even know how that's the case, but um, <laughs> spoiler alert is in effect. So if you have not seen the fan, please pause this, go watch the fan, and then come back and listen to us discuss this, uh, this really hidden gem. It's a, uh, it's a diamond in the rough, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's, we're going to chop it up. And yes. I'm I'm happy I'm happy that this that we're able to talk about this movie because this is our format obviously is horror. Um, this movie is not horror necessarily; it's thriller. But because it is a good example of the celebrity stalker, we felt it was a good one to chop up for Stocktember. So it's nice to be able to, you know, talk all things fan. Absolutely. So. Uh... So this film um, was released in 1996, and I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but the budget for this film was $55 million, and the box office only drew 18.6, which I honestly... With the names of the actors and actresses in this movie, um, I can see where a lot of the budget went. Yeah. Because they had some he- <laughs> they had some heavy hitters in this film. Uh, they had Robert De Niro, Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo, Benicio del Toro, and Ellen Barkin, just to name a few. So, um, so yeah, I think that's where a lot of their budget went, but. Uh, okay, so we we get introduced to Gil Renard, who is a knife salesman and an avid, and I mean avid, baseball fan. His favorite team is the San Francisco Giants, and they just so happen to sign his favorite player, Bobby Rayburn, uh, who is played by Wesley Snipes. Gil is played by Robert De Niro. And, um, you know, pretty early on, we see that Gil is kind of struggling with his sales position and his boss, um, basically, basically lets him know that like, Hey, I, you know, I went to bat for you and they wanted to let you go, but you know, I, I kind of stuck my neck out there for you. But, you know, we find out that Gil is, Gil is just really, really just obsessed with baseball and Bobby Rayburn. Uh, to the point where he kind of schedules some of his sales appointments around opening day in baseball games. So, um, so yeah, we we see we see that we see him uh, wanting to take his son to an opening day baseball game, and uh, you know we find out that Gil and his wife Ellen are divorced and they have their son. Um, and you know, the relationship is not good and and we can tell that and Gil takes his son to the game and, uh, you know, at the same time though, Gil has an appointment with a pretty big account at two 30 on the same, on the same day as opening day. So he takes his son to the game, uh, keeps looking at his watch and, you know, trying to plan out everything. And he ends up actually leaving the game to go to this appointment only to find out that the person he was supposed to meet with 
is in fact at the game. So he rushes back to the stadium, but his son is not there. And we come to find out that um, he's his son is back at home now and his wife is uh, has got, gotten a restraining order against Gil. And that really starts a spiral. Then um, I'm not sure if it's the next day or maybe not soon after, but Gil goes into the office and he is let go from his sales position and this just really starts a downward spiral at this point and with all of this time on his hands now he's really starting to obsess over Bobby Rayburn and you know we see Bobby who's a very very good baseball player he signs a 40 million dollar contract with the Giants and on opening day he and one of the young up-and-coming superstars, Juan Primo, who is played by Benicio del Toro, um, they are—they're kind of—they have this natural feud going on already because Bobby typically wears the number eleven, but Juan Primo actually has the number eleven, and he's just—he's not going to give this number up. Uh, but during, we go back to opening day and. Uh, Bobby plays center field and there there's a pop fly out into the outfield and Bobby's calling the ball. He's saying he's got it. Juan is saying he's got it. Anyway, they end up uh, colliding and uh, Bobby kind of gets the, the worst end of it and he gets injured, but um, they he stays in the game. He doesn't want to come out. Actually hits a home run during that game and um, seems to be that all is well for right now, uh, but Gil is uh, Gil is really just obsessed, infatuated with Bobby. And you know, after the opening day performance, Bobby starts to struggle a little bit. Uh, fans start to give Bobby the business, uh, like fans do, especially in sports like baseball. And um, you know, Gil is none too happy about this, and he let some fans know it. And, um, yeah, they they start to uh, turn on Bobby a little bit. And um, one night, the uh, some of the guys from the team are at a bar. Juan is there, and then Bobby comes in, and he uh, wants to talk to Juan about getting this number 11 because he feels like he's got some type of power behind it, and he... He uh, feels like he needs to to have this number back, and they go into a bathroom, and um, they, you know, they kind of get into a fight. And while this is all going on in the bathroom, Gil is actually in the bathroom, and he overhears this, and um, you know, they they get into the fight, and um. Gil kind of comes up with the idea that this is this is all Juan's fault that Bobby is struggling like this because he just ha doesn't have his beloved number eleven. So um, we see Gil actually go to a uh, go to a sauna where Juan is, and um, he's trying to convince Juan to give this number eleven back to Bobby and. Juan is like, dude, you know, get out of here. You know, I don't know who you are. I'm not giving the number up. He's like, this is my number. And on Juan's shoulder, we see he has the number 11 branded 
onto his arm. And uh, we kind of see a little bit of an altercation starting there, but um, we get we kind of flash forward a little bit where we see Gil walking out of the bathroom through the uh, lobby and he's wiping his face and everything. And uh, then we start to get flashbacks of both he and Juan fighting in the sauna and Juan, you know, punching him, getting the best of him in the fight. And then all of a sudden we see Gil take his knife and stab Juan in the thigh and uh, kill and he kills Juan. And, um, you know, right there in the sauna and, you know, they, the team is, uh, kind of mourning the loss of Juan the next day. Um, you know, for a brief moment in time, people suspect Bobby of doing this, but he is quickly, uh, exonerated of this. And, um, then all of a sudden Bobby starts hitting well again and, um, you know, th this is like a miraculous turnaround. And even though the fans were kind of against him initially, when he started to play well again, they start to love him again. And, uh, you know, Gil is thinking that he's about to get some big props, but he doesn't get the uh, recognition that he thinks he should. So Gil goes to, uh, Bobby's house and, um, we get a, a scene where, Bobby's son is playing with the dog and um, Bobby's son almost drowns and uh, Gil comes to the rescue and actually saves Bobby's son. And, um, you know, Bobby's like, hey, I can't thank you enough. You know, let's get you some dry clothes and all that. Hang out with us for the evening. And that's what happens. And, um, you know, Gil ends up saying, hey, you know, I, I used to be a pitcher kind of thing. You know, let me show you my best pitch. And so he starts to pitch to Bobby, and they're, they're having a conversation. And Bobby, Gil asked Bobby, like, hey, you know, what, ha like, how did you turn all of this around? And Bobby says, I just, I just stopped caring. I, I just stopped caring because um, there's more important things in life. He, he was really struck by Juan's death. And, um, you know, in the midst of all of this, he talked about how he uh, he wasn't a big fan of the fans because they were all just kind of um, just kind of fickle back and forth where it's like when I'm doing well, they're rooting me on, cheering me on. And when I'm not, you know, I'm the worst person in the world. And this does not make Gil happy. Not one bit. Um, and. In baseball terms, you know, this friendly game of catch that they were playing uh, turns into Gil giving Bobby some high heat, some uh, sweet chin music, if you will, throwing the pitches at his head. And Bobby's like, all right, dude, um, yeah, we're going to we're going to cut this short. Uh, you know, maybe it's time for us to say good night you know, and you know, thank you for saving my son. And uh so Bobby um, figures out pretty quickly that Gil has not only taken his car, but he's taken his son, um, Sean, and the dog, their dog. And, um, you know, Gil's driving down the road and 
he ends up calling Bobby and Bobby's like, Hey, you know, where are you? And, um, you know, Gil's telling them everything. And, and he's like, Hey, you know, I, you know, I, I did this. I, I helped you out. You know, I helped you more than, you know, and he tells, uh, Bobby to look in his freezer and Bobby actually does this and finds the skin from Juan's shoulder that has the number 11. And, uh, we, we find out that, um, that Gil is not doing well and he's spiraling out of control. Um, so throughout the movie here, Gil talk about his friend Coop and how Coop was very inspirational and always helped him out. And that, that was his catcher when they were playing baseball. So he goes to see Coop and, um, you know, he's telling him about everything that's happened. And he, you know, at first he's kind of trying to play a trick on Coop and saying that Sean is actually his son, but he's not, um, so then they uh, decide to play a little bit of a game for old time's sake where Gil is the pitcher, Coop is his catcher once again, and Sean, Bobby's son, is at bat. And uh, this is very uncomfortable to watch. And uh, at one point in time, um, Coop tells Sean to hang in there. And Coop catches one of the pitches and throws it over – when he throws it back to Gil, throws it over his head, he tries to help uh, Sean escape. But, um, you know, we find out in that moment that they did not play professionally together. It was actually in Little League. Um, and then we see Gil beat Coop with the baseball bat and um, kill him. And Sean... Um, begins to try and run away but uh gill finds him and actually uh after this gill contacts bobby and he has one request he's like uh, i need you to hit a home run in the next game for me and dedicate it to me or i'm gonna kill your son and uh you know we go to back to candlestick park uh where the giants play and um Gil actually finds his way into the park um and you know the game the this game there's a lot of thundering and lightning and raining and um you know so obviously everyone's on edge at one point uh Gil even calls um one of the radio hosts and he's basically taunting them at this point he can see everything but you know they're they still don't know where he is they're trying to find him uh, and, you know, there's a lot of emotion and tense moments. Bobby is at bat a few times. The first time he hits the ball deep into the outfield, but it's caught. Um, then an, at, after a rain delay, Bobby comes back up to bat. He hits the ball deep into the outfield. And, you know, he's trying to score an inside-the-park home run. Uh, rounds third base, slides into home plate. You know, he looks safe. It looks like he beat the throw by a mile, but the umpire calls him out at home plate, and we end up figuring out once Bobby is arguing w with the umpire that the umpire is actually Gil. And this turns uh, this turns into a scuffle there. Uh, Bobby knocks Gil to the ground. A lot of cops and players 
from both teams are now on on the field and um you know one of one of the things that happened during this is that Gill kills a player uh lands who is actually played by one of my favorite baseball players uh John Crook which is neither here nor there but um they Gill is warned by the police hey look drop your knife you know you need to you need to stop you need to surrender he doesn't do it um and he asked he asked Bobby Gill asked Bobby do you care now even just a little bit hey Bobby now do you care Light her up Bobby and um he's Gill's about to throw his knife and then he shot um the police actually are able to find uh Sean safely um and this is where they're able to find him at the little league field where Gill played his uh baseball gate days at and um they under they uncover everything once they get there they see how obsessed he is with Bobby Rayburn they find all the press clippings and everything else um, and then one of the final shots that we see is Gil in all of his glory um, playing Little League Baseball and uh, winning a big game with his friend Coop. And that, my friends, is the fan in a nutshell. Take me out to the Gil game. Take me out <laughs> to the ground. That was fantastic. Jeff, Jeffy, and I want to ask you if you had any sympathy for Gil's character in this movie. Because sometimes these, sometimes these stalkers present as wounded people, you know, and so there's yeah. like a little wiggle room, despite their like hideousness, to see like how they got hideous, and 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 even if you don't, you just get a sense. You know, and so you have a little wiggle room for some for some sympathy. Do you did you find him sympathetic at all? Um, I mean, obviously, I felt bad for him when it came to his son, uh, because I mean, I I can definitely understand the re relationship dynamic in terms of him wanting to be in his son's life, and also being in a corporate position where he's selling knives that his father essentially started and, you know, branded, created that market outside of that. Not really. Um, because, you know, I think if, if we had found out and, and not saying that this would have excused anything that he did, but if we found out that he was a professional player and something happened outside of his control that uh ended his career i could maybe be a little more sympathetic with his obsession with baseball right. but when we find but when we find out that his obsession stems all the way back to his little league days um that just speaks to me as someone who is just in in lack of a better term deranged and it just took the perfect storm a mis, you know, a, a misfortunate event to occur for him to finally sink to those depths that he did. What about yeah. you? Um, I didn't find him sympathetic. I would have. I, I think I would have um, if he wasn't such a jerk face to like his kid. 
and to um, other people like around him and the way he like, always has a need had a need to like um, for instance when um, when uh, he tries to catch the fly ball um, and then like uh, some kid catches it instead and then he like walks back to the seat and he's like ah he got lucky he got lucky the wind carried the ball he got lucky like to the people around him I'm like yeah. first of all anybody who talks to the people around them like in a crowd I'm like all right, there's something wrong with you. And then, like, if you're doing that, there's something wrong with you. And then also, like, if you're excusing your loss by, like, blaming it on a... I don't know. It just that whole thing was yucky. And I feel like he, he does that throughout the movie in different ways, you know? Um, plus, he's just, like, yeah. so devious. He's really a devious person. Um, and you do feel, you feel, almost feel bad that like crappy things happen to him, except that he makes a lot of bad choices himself. And yes. he, his main focus, like he can't shake thinking like really like putting anything first, except for putting the giants first. So, you know, I don't know. What do you kind of like, what do you expect? I don't know. It's just, just my thing. I don't really feel bad for him. Yeah, I mean, especially um, when you know that you're on borrowed time with your job and you schedule your appointments based on the giant schedule. Right, right. Um, he could have made his appointments with that company. Maybe they were trying to shake him anyway, but still, you know, uh, I don't know, just a bunch of things. Um, so I... I think I told you, I don't remember if I told you that I started reading the book that this movie is based on by Peter mm -hmm. Abrahams. It's called, it's also called the fan and a couple of, um, a couple of, I thought were funny little differences was one, the, the first difference that's kind of a big one is that actually the book takes place, um, on the East coast and Gil is a, a fan of the Red Sox. So, which lends to, I mean, cause I've, I being, being in New York and close to New York city, I know just by proxy of like, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry and all that stuff and the Mets and all that stuff, um, that Boston Red Sox fans are pretty rabid about their team. So I thought that that was kind of cool that they added that level and that in the book, it was like at that level of seriousness, um, in the book, Gil drives a BMW, and it adds this level of tension um, to the story because it's like he's always like, how am I going to make the next payment on this car? How am I going to make the next payment on this car? And then when he gets let go, it, it becomes like a whole thing. Like, And when he tries to make that appointment after leaving his son at the park, he like pees his pants in the car. <laughs> Wow. it's yeah it's it's odd like it's it's odd like that it's very it's it's definitely if you want to read like a fun uh page turner like fast page turner um i would say check out the fan the book um it got pretty good reviews too so it's just a thriller it's you know nothing too heavy actually um i didn't finish it yet so i can't say how how many things are different you know but 
it it keeps a good pace, I think, and it keeps uh, the character is very like the character of Gil is very similar. Um, in the book, though, I think uh, Bobby uh, is is white, pretty sure. Um, that you actually get more insight into him than you do in the movie. So, okay. hey Bobby, hey Bobby, hey Bobby. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> Atta boy, Bobby! Hey, hit that Bobby! Atta way, Bobby! Show Bobby. Yo, Bobby! All right, Bobby, let's go! All right, Bobby! All right, Bobby, let's go! Come on, Bobby. I love that. I love when he does that. It's my favorite thing in the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I want to work backwards a little bit here, I think that uh, Gil is, you know, he's our, in terms of our Stalktember stalkers, he is our obsessed celebrity stalker, right? And this is like a, a special breed of stalkers. They oftentimes obsess over their victim um, and believe that they have some sort of a romantic relationship or that they could, that they're destined to, if only the person would notice them, right? Um, that's typically, it's like a rotomania is what it's called. Um, it's typically the dynamic that they have with their victims. Um, but in this case, there, I mean, and they, I've read about how most of the time there are these feelings, whether they're conscious or unconscious feelings, that they want to sort of like be that person, you know? Um, they can't shake the obsession until they can get at that person. It's like, it's something that consumes them. Obviously that's why it calls, it's called obsession. And a lot of times that's why they, they sort of fantasize and, and they make threats about killing the victim, the celebrity, um, or hurting them because in a way without them even realizing it, like they, that's the only way they feel they can shake this sort of like fever of obsession. It's like a high. So there's also a good level of narcissism involved with celebrity stalking. Um, and we can kind of see that here with Gil you know, the way that he treats other people. Um, even like, you know, the fact he's like a salesperson, you know, and he's meant to be like, you know, kind of charming and all this stuff. He ends up just getting like aggressive with everybody in this like chapter that we're seeing of his life. He just kind of, he's menacing and it's like, you know, not, it's, it's not a coincidence that he's this knife salesperson, right? Like he's, right even more menacing with this knife that he's always got on him and like how he says to Bobby, which I found was very accurate. I mean, he says to him, you know, I like, he's like, what do you want? He's like, I want it. I want like our names to be like, kind of, what do you say? Something like I want for when people to think of you, they're going to think of me. And that's super scary because we all know from, you know, making really sad cases like John Lennon's case and Rebecca Schaefer's case and, you know, lots of cases, you know, where um, the celebrity and the, their stalkers, like names do get entwined like forever and ever, 
which is like hideous, you know, because that's what they want. But it, it, but it happens because now it's part of that person's history. Like they were killed and how are they killed? Well, you know, they were stalked by this person and that person murdered them. Oh, okay. And it's really just, it, that's really scary to me. But anywho, um, I found this movie to be amazing. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you will agree with me here or not, but it's kind of amazing in a funny way, for instance, the scene where Gil just takes off in Bobby Rayburn's Hummer with his kid and his dog, and they're just driving, like it's like yeah. no big deal. And then Bobby calls him on the phone, and I know he's trying to be normal so that he doesn't like freak him out or think get him to think he's mad because he just wants him to come back with his son. But it's funny because he's talking to him like, hey, Gil, how you doing? Like... <laughs> Like, of yeah. course you're out in my Hummer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought this movie was amazing. And I agree with you there. And, I mean, you, I thought it was amazing on a lot of different fronts. But the audacity of Gil <laughs> at times. I mean, the way he approached his business meetings... Um, the way, I mean, the way that he interacted with the fans at the game, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, who does this guy think he is? And, and I mean, you get a sense at some points that he almost feels like he's untouchable. Oh, totally. And, and you know, and that's, that was what I really took away from it. Like the, the audacity, but the other thing that was really amazing to me about this film is that you see you see a player in Bobby who comes in and he's like completely I mean he's riding this wave. He's riding this wave of just success. And then he comes in and in a moment his season changes when he collides with Juan Primo. Yeah, so quickly. And yeah, just, I mean, just so quickly. And that, and I mean, that can happen in sports for sure. And then you see this kind of descent, you know, from this confident player, almost borderline and cocky, to a completely, I mean, just defeated player to the point where he's getting into physical altercations with his teammate about a jersey number. And, yeah, he looks and, like he looks like worn out and like yeah. sad almost. Yeah, and then you know once Juan dies, I mean it's like he's getting it from every side. Where you know he he's initially suspected of this, which I mean obviously given the altercation, right. one would assume that would happen. But then he goes into the locker room and all the players are like looking at him and they, you know, quickly turn away and they're disgusted by him. And, you know, even one of the players points to the patch of the number 11 on their jersey and he says, now we all get to wear the number. Yeah, and that was so messed up. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, and it's like, you know, in those moments, you kind of see his character change from this overly confident athlete to – someone who's been humbled by all of these things. So, 
you know, when when he's having that conversation with Gil about not caring anymore, I really felt that because I think that he had gone through so much to that point where he was legitimately changed and just over, you know, the obsession with baseball. And he, I mean, he even says it's just a game. Like we get to play a game. So, you know, I was really, uh, I, I Do really you play a game. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I just I mean just that character that character roller coaster that we see him go on. Um Good was point. Just, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a those are all great points. I I agree with you on all that. I didn't really think about that, about his his own trajectory. I mean we see it loud and clear, you know, um in the film, but you're kind of always kind of keeping one eye open and one eye out for De Niro, you know? Mm-hmm. That yeah, he's you. Can't, you could you could have almost missed his whole trajectory from like very cocky, like womanizing. You know, um, like I'm the sexiest ball player who's got who's making the most money. Even his like you know his manager, his agent, whoever, whatever John Leguizamo plays, like like always like building him up and stuff. And then it just really comes crashing down, right? Yeah. And then he changes because of it. Yeah. And that's when he meets Gil. <laughs> Gil does not appreciate it when he says, I don't care. It's just a game. Oh, He's like, yeah. I thought I was going to see steam coming right out of his ears. He was like, you don't, you don't care? What? I was like, oh, no, that's the wrong thing to say to your stalker. And it was crazy how I, I do think that I, I have to say, like, I, I feel like Robert De Niro uh, was phoning it in a little bit in this movie. I, I definitely think he could have put a little bit more effort <laughs> into the performance and it would have been that much better for it. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was terrible. I just think that there is something kind of missing there, you know. But I do think the exchange in the scene with him and Wesley Snipes was great because you see Wesley Snipes just sort of all of a sudden realize like something's not right. Like you were saying, like, you know, something's not right with this guy and I need to like get back into my house like right now. Right. And he grabs the bag of balls and he, and he immediately calls his dog over, which was like for protection. It was like, just, everything was just obvious, you know? And then he was like, Oh, you can see yourself out. Okay. Bye man. You know? And it was just really like, it was all in like a moment that he just kind of, it all added up and you could almost see like the hairs on the back of his neck stand up and him just like run into the house, you know? Um, His behavior was just so odd. I mean, to us as the viewers, we know his name's not Curly. Like that's so weird. Yeah. You know, and he starts, he's like, call me Curly. Like that's like so strange. And then he like, just brazenly takes off the, you know, the jacket to show that he like stole his, you know, um, his, his, yeah, his Jersey. And then he knows he starts dropping all this knowledge about his season, even though he said he doesn't really follow and he didn't even know if he was a baseball player. Like then he's like, Oh, well like, you know, you, you must feel happy that, you know, this and that. And I was like, you do you're like showing your hand even on is it on purpose because you're like not 
you know, because you're just too like chomping at the bit because you're right next to him? Or is it like by mistake because you're too excited that you're like right next to him? You couldn't tell, you know? Um, I thought that that whole scene was, was, was really well done. And I kind of was, I hadn't seen like uh, Wesley in a movie in a while. So I was, I was watching him. Um, wait, that's a lie. I just watched him on Saturday. What am I talking about? Um, shout out to my friend, uh, Luann. We watched, um, like virtually like her in her house and me in my house, whatever. We watched uh two Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. <laughs> Julie Newmar <laughs> with wow. Wesley Snipes where he plays a drag queen. And um, I was watching him in that. That's right. We watched that on Saturday. And I was watching him in that to see, like, okay, is he going to, like, do – is he going to go for it? Like, this is Wesley Snipes, like, you know, in his heyday, you know, in all his, like, glory. I mean, he must have done that movie. I don't remember the date of that movie. But it couldn't have been too far away from the fan because he's in top shape like he is in this movie. Right. And – um. I'm watching him to see, like, is he going to kind of make a mockery or a caricature of the character that he plays? Um, or is he going to really go for it, like, 100%? And he goes for it. It's a very, like, understated performance, but he really goes for it. And I was really like, okay, Wesley Snipes, I tip my hat. You have made the grade in my book, and <laughs> nobody cares about that. <laughs> But um, he is also a graduate of my alma mater, which is um, uh, the art school, uh, Purchase College um, in Purchase, New York. Really? So Yes, we went to the same college. And wow. I'm assuming he was in the acting conservatory and I was in the art conservatory. So there you go. Um, awesome. Yeah. Stanley Tucci, another graduate if I'm not mistaken, from my college. Um, anywho. Um, yes, back to the fan. So I thought Wesley did a great job. De Niro was, you know, kind of mostly there. I feel like he definitely was, you know, being paid well and kind of out to lunch a little bit, you know. Um, the guy who played Coop, and I... Jeez, I forget his name. I, I looked at the name. And I was like, I'm going to remember his name. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, the actor who played Coop was great. I like that actor a lot. Um, see him, like, he's character actor randomly in, in different shows and movies and stuff. And he's and he's always great. Um, I like how he immediately was, like, onto the situation um, and knew that, like, something was not right. Um I also would like to shout out, everybody pay attention. I would like to shout out um, the new husband of Gil's ex-wife, <laughs> who never would call the police on Gil. <laughs> yeah. Whenever Gil would show up and cause a scene, um, even if he didn't cause a scene, the ex-wife was going to cause a scene because she just hates him so much. But we never find out his background, like what exactly, you know, went wrong. I mean, we could surmise that, you know, Gil's not really well. So a lot of things could have gone wrong. He was probably beating her. Who knows? But in the movie, every time that he causes a scene, 
the ex-wife starts screaming like, Tim, call the police! And Tim just always freezes and stands there and doesn't call anybody for help. He's like, nope. Yeah, he's like, not gonna happen. And when, like, Gil threatens to beat him up with a bat and the whole thing, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really funny, but then when you see the little kid, the little kid just, I mean, if you just see that little kid, like that actor... You just want to cry <laughs> just because yeah. he looks so small and vulnerable. But yeah. the fact that he's got like a terrible father who he still like loves and worships, you know, uh, even though he does all these terrible things to him, it just broke my heart. Like it just, I, I was like, this is, this is like the, this is the sob story of them. I feel worse for this kid than for all, like all the adults, yeah. you know, this kid's got it worse than like Wesley Snipes and, and Primo and you know, everybody. It's like, gosh, when he gets left behind, I know when he gets left behind and then he brings him like pizza and Coke and stuff. And he's so happy just to be with his dad again, even though his dad like hurt him. It was just, Oh my God. It's just terrible. It's just, all right, let's just shut it down right now. (laughs) I don't think I'd be able to continue with the movie. (laughs) Like, if I was making them, I'd be like, nope, I'm out, bye. <laughs> so, um, if you could change some aspect of the movie, Jeff, what would it be? And would you choose to, like, deflate the situation, diffuse the situation, sorry, or or pump it up to make it even worse? Like, do you think that the movie needed some? like you know some sort of twist or some change honestly i just want to know i want to know how gil got to the point of holding like what happened during little league Mm. that he had to hold on to those glory days i want to know what type of what type of childhood he had Mm. Um, because it would seem the two things I took away from a, a couple of the scenes was one, he revered his dad in the way that his son revered him. Mm. So my question when I would see that was, was his father abusive? Did his father treat him the same way that he treated his son? Mm. Um, And the other thing that I really wanted to know was I really wish we could have gotten a little more as to the whole dynamic between Bobby and his son, Sean, because I think if you can, I think if they had kind of juxtaposed those two relationships, Gil with his son and Bobby with his and model how different those were. I think in certain cases it could have been a little more impactful uh, when it came to that ending, those ending scenes where we see Gil take his, take Sean away. Like was Bobby, was Bobby distraught because he, he was that, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but that invested in his relationship with his son, or was he that distraught because 
he felt like he left a lot on the table and didn't feel like he'd get an opportunity to right some wrongs possibly with his son. So, oh wait, you mean so, oh, so you're saying so like maybe um, Gail might have taken him away because of his own issues with his own son? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm a little, I'm, a little, I'm like trying to keep up and I'm like, ooh, what? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. No, it's I, just, I, I wish we could have seen a little more development yeah. with, with Gil, with Gil, I guess with Gil and his relationship with his dad, but right. also I would like to see Bobby's relationship with his son. Mm-hmm. So that way we get more of an understanding of what was the, what was the driving force behind his emotion? Like anybody who has a child taken from them is obviously going to be emotional, right. but there were times during his emotions where I felt like it was more of a regret because he felt like, man, if I just done this with my son, maybe Um, I won't get that opportunity to do that now. Right. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think, I think, I think I wonder also if he, if he kind of had in the back of his mind, like, Hey, I visited with that uh, child in the hospital. Who's also named Sean. I knew something bad was going to happen. Because you see him like visibly distressed that the dying boy's name is Sean and like, you know, his son's name is Sean and, you know, ball players, um, all athletes, professional athletes are, are notorious for their superstitions, right? So you see that he's like, oh, I don't like that. That's, that's my son's name and you're dying and you're probably the same age as him, right. you know? So I was, well, I was wondering like, you know, did he think like what you're saying? Like, did he, you know, too many things left undone? you know, is he, is he now, is he going to die because that kid died? Like I saw, you know, and that's, that's wild. Yeah. I wonder like, you know, I wonder like, did Gil's mom die or something like tragically when after that little league picture was taken that we see at the end of the movie, you know, something got messed up, something got tweaked in his brain, or maybe he was just born like that. That, that is possible. Some people are just, you know, um, are, born like that and then their circumstances might not help but it doesn't help the situation but it's not necessarily because of something that happened but yeah it would have been it would have been interesting to hear more about that in the book they do talk about how he was like sort of apprenticing with his dad learning how to make knives and stuff he wasn't that good at it but he loved like pounding the steel um you know, like when it's like, you know, hot, like, you know, red hot and stuff like that. Um, I think it's kind of just showing you that he's always had this like propensity for, you know, for violence. But I was kind of surprised at how long it took in the movie to get to see him display like a real, like a a legitimate, like, you know, violent behavior. Um, we, it kind of takes a while for us to see him get real unhinged, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I mean, the movie's, you know, the movie's a good length. Um, and I just kind of was like, could have seen a little bit more of that earlier. Um, also, yeah. I thought, I thought Gil was shockingly uh, gentle with Bobby Rayburn's son. I mean, he, you know, I just, 
for all of the I'm going to kill your son talk, like when he catches the little boy in the train yard trying to escape, yeah. he he doesn't like he he's he's real he shows his he shows his real violent side there he's he's the little boy takes out the knife that he has on him to like threaten threaten gill you know and and try to protect himself and gill sees that and he laughs and he starts laughing and smiling like he really identifies when people mostly the kids because his son does it at one point too he like he takes out his knife to like take something off a pizza or whatever and gill loves it gill loves when he when his son takes out the knife you know so you could see that but i don't know he's got some sort of arrested development but he also is like a huge bully i don't know it's there's a lot he's a he's a complex character and i don't think that they did a terrible job in in writing him and writing his character um his behavior seems pretty pretty on par um, with other celebrity stalkers, you know, the, the obsession with it. And I thought that this was a cool movie to get into for the celebrity fan, um, obsessional stalker because it was like guy on guy. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like, what what we hear of, we've heard of a lot. And what we've seen is a man following a woman, which isn't unusual. That's actually more the norm. But I thought this was a cool twist on like how far someone's going to take, you know, their their love of sports and how it goes to the next level. I just kind of wish that we had seen his like dungeon, his like stalker dungeon a little bit more. Like, did he only move into that like room after he lost his job and then ostensibly like probably got evicted from his apartment? We don't know. That's like a whole, you know, we don't know. Was he actually kicked out of his apartment? Maybe this was just a part-time, like, little dungeon that he kept for himself (laughs) to chill out in. I don't know, you know. But that's when, it's only at the very end that you see all of the newspaper clippings, you know, um, all of the little baseball helmets and the dolls and the, picture of him like winning the winning the game and being carried up by his uh, his uh teammates when he was little in little league i kind of wanted to see more of that like earlier you know even just flashes give me something i wanted some more i hate to say it this way and i like i don't mean to be little mental illness but i kind of wanted to see more of his like unhingedness you know, I wanted to see more of that because that's what the movie's about. And so I felt like we got a lot about the situation with the with the number and with all of the, you know, Bobby Rayburn, which is cool. But I could have done with like, you know, 10 percent, 20 percent less of that and more De Niro, you know, walling out um, about Bobby Rayburn. Yeah. Yeah, your name. I would love to. Uh, yeah, I'd love okay. to get get more. Yeah. Yeah, because then also a lot of questions might be answered. Like you know, then you could get into like you know him. What if he like does something and he has a flashback of his father being like, "God told you, boy, not to ever mess with that baseball bat of mine." You know, like or something. Right. <laughs> you know, and then him hitting him in the head with it or something. You know what I mean? Like we just would have gotten you know some more answers and then. That would have been 
that would have been kind of cool. We just got some, but we just got some, you know, like binoculars and watching and stuff. I don't know. There's a lot. The movie was a lot of fun. I'm not trying to put it down. It's a lot of fun. I just think the can of worms could have been opened up a little wider, you know, and yeah. and and let more worms out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I worms agree. have to do with stalking. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. Bobby! 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 Be nice, Bob. <laughs> now do you care? Bobby! Now do you care? Bobby, pictures use their brains. Hey, Bobby, you still up? Uh, and then what I want you to do, Bobby, I want you to hit a home run for me, Bob. I'm serious as a heart attack, Bobby. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you know that John Cusack had a stalker? I did not know that. Yeah, John Cusack had, like, an intense stalker who stalked him for a while, um, went to court, like, the whole thing. Um, wow. Yeah, it was this this woman who um, stalked him and Tom Cruise, but I think she was more active in, like, stalking John Cusack, which is, like, kind of, I don't know, that kind of makes me sad because he seems like a decent guy, you know, and, and he's in all those 80s movies that I love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just think, like, someone's stalking him. I had, okay, by the way, I had no idea that Madonna had, like, you know, a real big deal stalker. I only found that out like at the beginning of the month or maybe at the end of August when we started planning this. Um, she had a terrible stalker um, who like not only was like, you know, just coming and like jumping onto her property and like, you know, having to be like her security team had to like, you know, get him, get him off the grounds like several times but he also like looked like a stalker kind of in the weird way. Like if this makes any sense, like he was like all disheveled and kind of looked like a grizzly mountain man. So he looked like somebody who would like hack you up, you know? And he kept just, he kept like showing up at her house and like getting, getting like, you know, onto her property, which is terrifying. I think like yeah. one time, like one of her like housekeepers saw him and screamed and the security team like had to like, I think the guy got, I think one of the security team guys got really hurt had to be taken by hospital. Like it was wild. And then they, you know, he get, he went to jail or whatever. He, they had a trial and she had to show up and she didn't want to show up because she's like, great. Now we're just like, this is exactly what he wanted, you know, was like my undivided attention. Um, so I don't know. Some people say, here's a question for you. Some people say that, like, celebrities, like, they kind of do, like, the whole, like, boo-hoo, you know, like, to celebrities who have, like, stalkers and stuff or obsessed fans um, because they say, well, you're out in the public and in the, in the public's eye, and so you say you deserve it, but, like, you have to take the good with the bad because you get paid a lot of money and all this stuff, and you get to be famous. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I don't think anyone, regardless of their stature in our society, deserves that. Um, I, I just don't. I don't think anybody deserves it. Um, I mean, I get it that you're more in the public spotlight and all of that, but just because your information is more accessible doesn't mean that 
people should use it in a detrimental way. Okay. But that's just my opinion. I disagree. No, I'm just kidding. I totally agree with you. I I don't think anybody... Stalking is hideous and, and scary. And if anybody wants to hear first-person narrative of, like, I'm sorry, not first-person, first-person testimony of being stalked, there is um, a really good podcast that I'm going to pull up right now to share with you guys that I listen to um, if you really want to get scared because this stuff is it just it's nuts. It's totally nuts. It's called Strictly Stalking, and it's a really good podcast. So uh, props to you guys. Um, it's Jamie Beeb and Jake Deptula. Um, basically, they just let the victim like speak at length and describe their whole ordeal. They ask them some questions at the end, and then that's it. And you really get like the skinny on what it's like to be on that end of you know stalking. So. Um, no, I don't, I, I don't think that celebrities deserve it at all. I don't think that it should be something that they should, oh, just have to live with because they're famous. Um, you know, and, and all around the world, people should be free to chase their dreams. You want to be an actress or a singer or, you know, personality, like you're allowed to chase that without, you know, having the fear that someone's going to hurt you because of it. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's my two cents about that, too. I mean, unless, you know, unless you're Chucky um, from the good guys, you know, he, he deserves it because he can handle it. He can handle it. So. He can, he's little, but he can handle himself. So he's shown what he can do, Jeff. Oh, he has. Yeah. We need yeah. to show what we can do. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think I'm at the level of of Chucky though. I, I'm not. I'm not that uh, much of a G. So no, no. But but if we had dolls made of us, right? Yeah. Right. That would be hot yeah. though, right? <laughs> yeah. We could go I hang see. out with Chucky and like go out at night and like see what's up. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm, I'm picking, talking about. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, you know? The next Child's Play movie, it's like us and Chucky. And people are like, who are they? And we're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't even worry about it. We're, just, we're here. You know? We're going to light it up. Yes. I like okay. that. I like that, too. Well, there's a lot more to be said about the fan. But, dear listeners, we all have a bed curfew. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding but we all do have you know we we all do have uh cookies to eat and milk to drink so uh jeffrey watson um question for you um how many headstones would you give the fan and that's out of five and then second question would you get this movie tattooed on your arm so, first question is, I give this movie a four out of five. Wow. Um, there were a few things that I'd like to see a little bit more of. Um, a little more explanation um, as to what in the world happened in Gil's childhood. Um, 
because I I have to believe that something happened. Like yeah. I, I just feel like something happened. Um, in terms of a tattoo, while I would not get a tattoo of the fan, my fandom of a team may lead me to get a tattoo of the team. Oh. But I would not get a tattoo of the movie. Are you a fan of the San Francisco Giants? I am not. Um, I Baseball-wise, I'm a fan of the Boston Red Sox. What? I know, I know. All right, I'm um, kidding X on the... Uh... <laughs> on the computer program we're using see like no i'm kidding hey, listen I'm kidding. all of us all of us have our flaws so no no i'm totally kidding <laughs> i don't even follow baseball it's totally fine no if if i got a tattoo of one of my teams it'd, be, mm-hmm. it'd either be the clemson tigers go tigers Aww, yeah uh or the tampa bay wow. buccaneers even though we stunk out loud on sunday um is that a football so, yeah. team Yes, it is. Okay. Tom, I don't know Tom Brady is now our quarterback. So, for the Tampa Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah, he left New England and now he's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And honestly, we uh, stunk the joint up on Sunday. So really, with Tom Brady in the mix? Oh gosh, yes, it was bad. It was I... uh, like he he looked like he was forty three years old. That's the first time he wow. looked like he was his age. Probably because his wife didn't want to leave New England. Why wouldn't you want to leave New England for Tampa? Because Tampa's hot and humid. <laughs> and there's but, mosquitoes the size of, you know, my hand. <laughs> but New England in the winter. Yeah, but she's, they're wealthy. They got, I'm sure they got a nice cozy house and she's got all kinds of big furry coats, you know? Yeah, you're right. What's New England in the winter? It's like real pretty, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I prefer a dry heat, not to be like, not to be like those people who are like, well, there's a difference. It's a dry heat, you know. But there is a difference. It is a dry heat, you know. Like, all, if it's a all dry I know heat, is, all I know is this: living, having grown up and living in South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, I can honestly say that the heat here has made me very very appreciative of my upbringing from my mom because if this is a quarter of what hell is like um i don't want to go there so jeffrey (laughs) i mean it's like when you walk outside some days it is it's It's like the temperature is set on hell no, it is. Honestly. It is. My father uh, has lived in South Carolina uh, for over 20 years now. Yeah, for almost 30 years now. So I've been going down there, you know, as long. Yeah. And, oh, God, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there are days where I'm like, I don't know how people can even like just be outside unless it's like walking from your car to whatever store you have to go to and walking back. And even and that even, is like hellish. Yeah, I was about to say, even that's questionable. I mean, you have to save up trips, you know? Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, South Carolina heat is no joke. Um, I remember being in Virginia once, 
I remember this this very clear memory. I was in Virginia with my husband and we were in Richmond and oh my God, I remember just feeling like this is the worst heat I've ever been in. Um, if we stay out, I'm gonna die. And I don't know how anybody could do anything outside right now. I don't remember, like, I don't know that I knew the temperature, but I just remember that feeling of just, this is way too much. I don't know how people can survive without air conditioning. Yeah. And we promptly got out of the heat and ran either back into the car or into the hotel we were staying at. But funny story, that was actually um, the day that Michael Vick was holding a press conference because of all the stuff that all the shenanigans with the dogs that he had gotten caught for. Wow. And I had no idea. Um, <laughs> I was like, why are all these cars here? Why is the press here? Oh, well, and we were like checking out and we left. And then found out later um, that, that, yeah, that they were right there. And I was like, good. I'm glad I didn't see him. I want to try to choke him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Choke so, him out. Same questions to you, my friend. I would give this, um, let's see, I, sorry, dead air. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm somewhere between like a two and a half to three headstones. Okay. We'll just say three, three headstones. And that's just because there's just a little bit too many plot holes for me. And mm. I feel like, um, Robert De Niro, where, where were you sometimes? Um, yeah. And a, a Tony Scott, I like. Pretty sure he's the one who did um, True Romance that I love. I love that movie. Um, I get his style. It's very, like, fast, quick, like, zoom, zoom, you know. And I, I, that's fine. I like that. But I feel like this movie was a little bit too much of that. You know, like, and like you said, there's kind of, like, not enough explanation to my taste so yeah and then in terms of tattoo i would not get uh anything tattooed from this movie but i, I would like that. to be jewel Alan barkin's character for halloween <laughs> the okay. red, like, that's like such a random like but she's like a radio personality the sports the sports radio personality jewel and um i like how sassy she is I think she smokes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's that's my take. I got you. I'm excited for Halloween because next month we've got some really good movies coming up for you guys, um, which I'm not going to reveal right now. But next week when we do – Jeff, should I tell them what we're doing next week? What movie we'll be watching? For ne yeah, tell them, tell them what movie we're watching. Well, uh, your friendly horror movie lawyer and uh, friendly podcast uh, person <laughs> of color, <laughs> Jesse and Jeff. I mean, Jeff and Jesse. We're going to be doing One Hour Photo, uh, directed by Mark Romanek and starring Robin Williams. So check us out, dudes and dudettes. Yes. Because it's going to be hot. Like fire. It's going to be like totally tubular. Like you won't be able to turn your ears away. 
because you can't say turn your eyes away because you're, you're not watching us. They'll be totally tubular, as Jeff said, and he's an attorney, so uh, he knows from what he speaks. <laughs> and yeah, get at us on Instagram. We're at Movies to Be Murdered by Podcast. We're on the Twitter. Um, honestly, we're on Instagram, like in terms of like connecting and, and, and hanging out and chatting. We're on Instagram a little bit more, but um, we are on Twitter at MTBMB podcast and we appreciate you thank you if you like our show give us a like give us a rating um on apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and yeah jeff any parting words for dear listeners um r.i.p john crook in the movie who played lands um like I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Well, wait, did wasn't. he die in real life? No, 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 no. In the movie, oh, okay. he, just in he the movie, the, yeah. Yeah, he was the guy. He, was the guy he like stabbed, right? Yeah, he was the guy that was trying to take down Gil, and um, Gil just, <laughs> yeah. So nuts! You don't try to take down a crazy person. Especially you know, they not have with a knife. Exactly, like they have super strength, and I'm not even joking, like. I always just to say, like, you know, yeah, this person's obviously going to win because they have the crazy strength, you know, whatever's propelling them mentally, you know, and their disturbance is going to win out on the other person. Like, so when that guy bit it, I was like, come on, who told you to try to be a hero? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's mean, but, you know, I usually root for the villain. So <laughs> how is this out of character? How? Jeff, it's not out of character. No. Jeff's like, all right, Jess. <laughs> um, okay, so thank you so much, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye.
Enjoy the silence.